Welcome to Strands, ideas about remembering and being remembered, from the team at Yarns.life. Tales of a Twenties Baby, Episode 2, The Last Goodbye. They say the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, and my own plans to write a series of blogs about my mother, who has been a great inspiration and support for my part in creating Yarns.life, have suddenly come adrift this past month. At the tender age of 94 years and almost nine months, Mum decided she'd had enough of us, and has now gone off on another path through the universe. I'd sort of expected she might for a while now, given that the pandemic was adding to her health woes. But her passing was still a body blow, as my life had, necessarily, revolved around her in the past year. Suddenly, I found myself having to deal with all the mechanics of bereavement, including the last goodbye to her, which, as we all know, in these strange and unsettling times, is especially difficult. Writing a eulogy is daunting. How could I fit such a long and full life into a mere ten minutes? And I had to consider the fact that the audience was quite intimate, given the coronavirus restrictions. This meant that it couldn't just be a chain of events in the course of her existence, I recounted. I found myself apologising for potentially missing out any of my family members' favourite memories. But which memories best captured my mother's spirit and outlook on life? I hoped to paint a portrait of the woman I adored, and who was a role model for me and for so many others. Someone who, in the lovely cards and messages we received, has frequently been described as remarkable. My eulogy also wasn't going to be complete without talking about Mum's relationship with my father. It wasn't the easiest, in part due to Dad's diabetes. But going through an old photo album to find pictures for the service, it was plain to see the love between them. Dad was a one-off. He had a very particular outlook on life and a surreal sense of humour. He frequently infuriated Mum with his determination to enjoy life to the full, even if it shortened that life. But lately, when we discussed him, she felt it was probably because of the horrors he'd lived through on the Normandy battlefields. Those of you who've read my blog post, An Everyday Hero, will recall that he left an archive of his experience, of which Mum was very proud. And I will try to honour her wish that it is made known to a wider audience one day. But Mum was also keen to share her own wartime experiences, and she has left a compelling legacy in the form of voice and video recordings I encouraged her to make as part of the development of yarns. These bring to life what for her was often a bit of an adventure. I've already recounted her favourite wartime memory, seeing Churchill address the crowds in Whitehall on VE Day, in the first Tales of a Twenties Baby episode. Having been to the ballet for the very first time in London, Capalia, performed by the Saddler's Wells Company, she had emerged from the tube to be confronted with a huge crowd celebrating the Allies' victory in Europe. She'd also loved the many balls and dances at Cranfield, the RAF base close to the historic city of Lincoln, where she studied to be a teacher. The trainees had to be in by nine o'clock every weeknight or ten on Saturdays. I believe that there were several instances when walls were scaled after the gates were locked. But these experiences also taught her about the brevity of life. Often, aircrew whom she danced with the week before were not there the next, missing in action. 
Back in 1926, when Mum was born, it would have been outrageous that my grandmother never married my grandfather. Indeed, it was one of the greatest sorrows and burdens of Mum's life that she never met her father, although he did provide for her until he died in 1931. Up until recently, she'd never even seen a photo of him. She vaguely recalled going to see her grandmother in Hull and being given a beautiful china doll around this period, but afterwards all contact with his family was lost. It was only when my sister and I looked into this side of our family tree that we discovered Mum not only had far more aunts and uncles than she'd realised, eight in all, but also a half-sister, June, living in Canada. We made contact with both June and with Pat, their cousin, who lives nearby and in the past six years, Mum enjoyed regular chats with both. Her delight at discovering this whole new dimension to her life was tinged with immense sadness at all the wasted years when she could have spent time with her sister and other family members. Fortunately, she was able to meet Pat in person on a couple of occasions, and to meet June virtually, thanks to the wonders of Skype. Mum was brought up in a household of strong women, where the goal was to better oneself and this attitude was to colour her life and the lives of those around her. She was a driven, hard-working individual with very high standards. Yet ironically, when Helen, my sister, and I followed her example and busied ourselves in much the same way she did, she would tell us off for doing too much. She recently told me she'd never considered herself to be particularly intelligent, but that somehow she'd gained a scholarship to the local grammar school in spite of herself. Even when she reached 16, she still didn't have the confidence to stay on at school, but was persuaded by the then headmaster, J.L. Latimer, or J.L. as he was fondly known, to stay on and do her higher school certificate. Mum would tell us how grateful she was to him for doing so, as she felt it had given her the push she needed. I think this is why she was so insistent that we all made the most of our education. Mum and Dad met through their shared prowess at swimming, Living as she did about a hundred yards from the local swimming pool, Mum swam there virtually every day after school from a very early age. She excelled at the sport and was to go on to teach PE and art as well as a host of other subjects. But to my surprise, she confessed that she never really enjoyed teaching. Yet judging by the number of people who stop me when I'm shopping for groceries and say, are you Mrs Thompson's daughter? She obviously had a considerable impact on the pupils she taught and was often characterised as firm but fair. Mum had been restricted in her career choices, finishing school as she did in 1944, when there were just four options, the armed forces, teaching, nursing or factory work. Nevertheless, in typical fashion, she made the best of her situation, rising to a senior position in the school she'd once attended. She took an active part in school life, creating scenery for dramatic productions, which harked back to her days in the local amateur dramatics group, the Vermoiden Players, and helping take pupils on trips as diverse as going to the school hut in the Yorkshire Dales, or the annual pilgrimage to Normandy for the second year pupils. That's those aged about 12. A trip which, for me, cemented my passion for all things French. In a different place and time, she would have doubtless been a fashion designer. She loved clothes, and when people describe her, they all say how well she dressed and how elegant she was. She was a strikingly beautiful woman whose looks and personality charmed everyone, from teenage schoolboys to some young men we once encountered on Sheffield Station, who swore blind she must be my sister, not my mother. Such was her love of sewing that she made most of my and Helen's clothes throughout our childhoods, as well as her own, 
often in the evening after school. She taught Helen, Ruth and I to sew, Ruth being my niece, a skill passed down from her own mother, who was a talented seamstress. Even now, I find myself examining the hems of shop-bought dresses to see if they're up to mum's exacting standards. Of course, of late, she was unable to make anything, or go out and enjoy browsing the rails as she'd used to. But up until she left us, she was still planning a wardrobe with the many mail-order catalogues she'd be sent. And only a few weeks ago was wanting us to get her a camel-coloured coat, as she felt she needed one for going out in, even though she couldn't actually go anywhere. Mum's artistic ability and sensitivity was such that she could carry the exact colour she wanted in her head, say when she was buying curtains. It's funny how these abilities are handed down from generation to generation. We learned through Cousin Pat that Mum's great-grandfather, Stevenson Daubner Hudson, had been a talented artist, with some of his paintings exhibited in the Ferrens Art Gallery in Hull. This artistic ability has continued to pass down through the family. My mother also loved travelling. She had many happy memories of the family going to France and down to the beach, all of us straggling along with our seaside paraphernalia, setting up camp and eating crepes bought at the little shack. My sister and I were very lucky to have adventurous parents who would drive us to Italy from the UK during the school holidays, a rare privilege back in the 60s. This year, she was looking forward to going to Norway on a cruise, but of course this was cancelled due to the virus. Mum was a very generous soul who supported a variety of charities, but she was also generous with her advice and opinions, not always appreciated by their recipients. You need a coat that covers your bottom, was a favourite, as well as blue and green should never be seen, and you'll get your death of cold if you go out with wet hair. Animal welfare was a cause deal to her heart. Again, something she inherited from her mother, who was a stalwart of the local animal charity, the RSPCA. Mum particularly loved dogs. She adopted my cat Mimi when my son and I returned to Yorkshire from London, and she often wished she could have another one to keep her company. She supported the Royal British Legion, the UK Veterans Charity, partly because of Dad's involvement, but also, I think, due to living through World War II and seeing the sacrifices people made. Lately, she struggled increasingly with her health, and current circumstances only contributed to her sense of frustration at being dependent on others, something very difficult for one as independent as she. We tried to retain some sense of normality with her favourite bacon, brie and cranberry paninis and her weekly trips to see our friend Penny, supposedly to have her hair done, but more a putting the world to right session between the two of them, if truth be told. We'd also enjoy a cheeky sherry and a cheese straw on a regular basis, all these being small but important pleasures. I knew Mum would say I'd rambled on too long at the service. I imagined her saying, hurry up Rachel and finish or we'll be late for the next bit. But in my defence she had left me a lot of life to get through. One of the long-standing family jokes was my son, who as a longish grandchild had a special place in her heart, teasing Mum about her advanced age often revising it upwards, much to her disgust. Her standard reply was, As Mrs Busfield used to say, we're all on the same road. I just happen to be further along it than you are. Mrs Busfield was an old family friend. Over the past couple of years, Mum would say that she'd lived too long and that 85 would have been the ideal time to shuffle off this mortal coil. About six months ago, we had a very moving conversation about her potential demise something which she knew I hated talking about. 
but she told me she had no regrets. She'd had a very good life and had had the pleasure and privilege of seeing both her grandchildren and great-grandchildren grow up and blossom. She was very proud of all her family. And it was incredibly difficult to choose the music for the service because so many songs bring mum to mind. We entered to the Sky Boat song because that was the lullaby she sang to us as children. But the exit music was much more problematic. We ended up with Que Sera Sera by Doris Day. As I remember mum singing, often using it to comfort me in times of trouble, and it encapsulated her approach to life. I then realised it might not be long enough at about two minutes playing time for everyone to leave the church. So I added BJ Thomas's theme to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Another of her favourites and also a very positive song. I'm sure she would have wanted people to take to heart the words, whatever will be, will be, as her long life had made her very philosophical about the human condition. That was my everyday hero, but looking at it now, I realise that also Mum was an everyday hero too, in the sense that every day she strived to do her best, not only by her own family, but for the doubtless thousands of kids she encountered across her 40-year career. As I record her life in picture, prose and voice at Yarns, and the rest of the family add their own comments and recollections, we will create a living, vibrant memoir, so that really, there'll be no last goodbye, and we'll always have her near us.